so yeah today we are going to be looking at Emmaus Road from Luke 24 verses 13 to 35 but before we get going some opening discussion questions so I want you to imagine you know if you could meet anyone in the world anyone at all they can be dead alive um whoever who would you like to meet why would you like to meet them and what would you talk about so it's three questions but I want all the answers at the same time because it all flows off nicely so who would you like to meet why would you like to meet them and what would you talk about um I'd, I'd like to meet Billy Graham yeah um I think what he did was like extraordinary um and also I'm very for the I'm very for the MLK movement and the Black Lives Matter movement and I would say his work with Martin Luther King was pretty amazing um I'd like to meet a pianist called Art Tatum he's probably like one of the greatest pianists ever I'd like to play the piano with him this sounds really nerdy, but I want to have um, a jam with Murdy Waters, who's a very famous, like, American sort of, I guess, Bayou um, jazz artist as a trombonist. I'd just love to kind of play a couple of his pieces together and hear his lovely voice. I don't know why I paused. It was quite obvious what the next one was, but yeah. I'd probably like to meet with um, Bear Grylls and to discuss discuss basically what, how do you, like, implicate your your Christian faith into your day, into your life, and and what links have you made between between your faith and what you do? Like, yeah, just generally talk talk about each, other, each other's faith. That's a very nice selection of people. Um, anyone else who would like to share who they would like to meet if they can meet anyone? Right. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, if I was to ask the question, I would say I would probably like to meet um, Obama. I just think he seems really cool. I think yeah, he's he's one of the few US presidents who I would like to meet but yeah anyway on to the kind of main reason behind this question so obviously with these people who we've all named I feel like the likelihood of us meeting some of them is quite slim um you know not not impossible but quite slim nonetheless I mean impossible in some cases but you know here we see in this passage that Josh is going to unpack for us we see two men Cleopas and another dude who isn't named they meet Jesus, but they don't recognize him as Jesus. And they talk about all sorts of things. They just haven't a nice chat with him, really. But the thing that I want to kind of unpack here is actually, if you come to the passage, so this is uh, Luke 24, and actually we're looking at verse, um, verse 15. So it says, as they talk and discuss these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Um, I just think that that must have been such an amazing journey to go on. Um, you know, the fact that these men thought in their hearts that Jesus was dead and they actually they didn't realize it was Jesus, which Josh is going to kind of go on to. But just to have that experience of just walking with someone and just listening to him talk about the things with such wisdom must be pretty amazing. But I think even more amazing is the fact that actually when we consider who Jesus is, I feel like it's easy to get caught up in, you know, okay, Jesus was a son of God. Jesus came down to earth in a manger. He lived for about 30 years, ministered for about three, and then he died on the cross, you know, rose again after three days and then ascended back into heaven. It's easy to kind of just think of Jesus as, you know, Jesus. But when we actually kind of stop and slow down to actually, you know, Jesus is God himself. Jesus is fully God. Like he's not a little bit less God because he's human. He is just totally God in human form. And like, that's 
quite amazing to think about that God would actually send his son to step down from heaven, from being seated on a heavenly throne to walk on earth among a bunch of sinners, which is ultimately what we are. And even more amazing is when you look back at the Old Testament, when you look at Leviticus, for example, you see all the rituals that had to be carried out, that had to be done by the high priest to kind of bridge that gap between God and Israel, between God and the people. And then you look at what Jesus did in the work of Jesus and how that's impacted us. It's quite incredible. Even more so, I feel like something that we can miss out in our kind of 21st century Christianity is how holy God is. I feel like we're very quick to attribute God as loving, God as merciful, God as gracious, which, yes, he absolutely is without question. But he is also unbelievably holy. He is like set apart. He's so radically different and separate to our world because he is so holy like there's a passage in isaiah 6 i'd recommend giving it a read afterwards um if you're interested where basically this is where isaiah he's he's seeing a vision and he's in a temple and the lord is sat on the throne and like the train of his robe fills the whole temple there's some angels some seraphim around him but even the angels can't look at god because of like how holy he is the angels have to cover their eyes with their wings and they just fly around just calling to each other holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory like i feel like sometimes we can miss that that we can miss the significance of jesus how important it is he did on the cross and the fact that he even walked among us i feel like that's something that we can often miss that we often try and scale down god to our our human understanding we try to put him in a little box but like it's good to sometimes stop and just remember in awe you know how amazing god is how big and mighty and holy he is yeah so that's that's actually what i'm going to talk on i'm going to hand straight over to josh who's going to walk us through this passage over the next half hour or so yes um before i get started is there anybody who would really enjoy to read the passage for us this evening luke 24, 13 to 35. Well, at night. Go on, then, Elliot. On the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about ha- everything that, that, that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was, he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels, whom said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just what the woman had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not Christ have, su- have to suffer these things and enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were, he were going further. They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it was nearly evening. The day was almost over, so he went in to stay with them. He was at the table with them. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, why not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the, the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And now Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Thank you, Elliot, for reading out Luke 24. 13 to 35. Um, that is our passage for this evening, as we've said. So the resurrection of Jesus is at the centre of our faith. That's the fact. It is the pinnacle on which it all stands. Without it, fall away at the sides. With it, we are in eternal glory with God after we pass away. Right. So it is fact that defines everything that can be about us. With it, our faith stands our faith gives us the ability to read the Bible, to go out and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Without it, this is a storybook. This is the point that everything rests on. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. These four gospel accounts in the very first passage of Acts provide our insight to Jesus, the character, the centre, the protagonist of our story, right? This is one of, if not the most important moments in the universe so far and what will carry on after, including the creation, fall of man, Jesus coming and dying and him coming a second time. Jesus's resurrection in all four gospel accounts, what happens after is fairly sparse. Like in Luke so far, there have been 20, 23, 24 chapters up to this point all speaking about jesus's life and growing up but we get to here we've only get, we only get one chapter one chapter is devoted to everything that happens after the most important bit and he only speaks on two situations i'm not including the ascension of jesus in this because it's covered in all of the gospel accounts i think but these two situations the road to emmaus and jesus appearing to the disciples have to hold significance for him there's so little space used to talk about post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Matthew with one chapter out of 28, Mark one chapter out of 16, Luke one out of 24, and John devoting two out of 21. So why does Luke pick these two post-resurrection appearances? There has to be something really special about this for him. So what is it? Why has he chosen this over Jesus meeting so many other people? To answer you that question, I have to ask you another. What was Luke's aim when he started to write this gospel? Like Mark's statement right at the start of his gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is a statement that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was Son of God. Jesus is showing us that he is who he said he was. Jesus has revealed himself, risen from the grave, saving us in the process. Yet here we are, questioning everything in our way, forgiving us for everything that we could ever do, forgiving every single person 
for every single transgression over every single lifetime that is lived. And we sit here on a call like this, questioning, what's this all about? What is it all about? That's a simple enough question. And many people would answer that, we don't know. This passage, like every other bit, is just showing God's love. From the start till the end, Jesus was love incarnate. So put yourself here on the road to Emmaus, going for a walk with your good pal, Jesus, son of God, presumed dead, possibly risen. Questions are everywhere. Confusion is up in the air. Nobody knows what is going on. This is three days after the person who said he was going to deliver you was hung, nails thrust through his hands on a cross and died, was proven dead, was buried in a tomb with, with a stone rolled in front of it. Life would be so confusing. You're mourning someone you devoted every single fiber of your being to. So combined with divine intervention, Cleopas and whoever was with him win them right not to recognize Jesus. Like, even when I'm in one of my bad moods after I've just had another awful cricket performance, which seems to happen quite a lot, like, after that's happened, I will be completely, my head will drop, my eyes will go straight to the floor, and I will be walking off the pitch. Anybody could come up to me and start talking to me, and they would just fade into any other person's voice. It could be my best mate, it could be my father, it could be a random stranger on the street. They're all the same person at that point. So Cleopas and his friend, they weren't going to recognise Jesus. They're mourning the death of this person that they, they love so dearly. It was, that was like one of their brothers. They had given up everything to go and follow him. So verse 16 and 17. But they were kept from recognising them. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you were walking along? They stood still, their faces downcast. In the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their mourning, they lost sight of who Jesus was. Literally and probably figuratively as well. How often do we do this? Our life, Jesus walking beside us. Jesus going with us, inside us, in front of us, behind us, alongside us, all around us. How often do we lose sight of that? Feel like we're going through something alone. Feel like we're approaching an immovable object. Feeling like this mountain that we're facing, impossible to conquer. How often do our struggles define us? How often do our failings define us? How often do our trials define us? How often does the very thing that we hate about ourselves define us? I want to tell you something tonight. If that's ever happened to you, it's not true. It's never defining. It's never going to define you. It will only define you when you let it. And right here, I see... 20 boxes on a screen of people who are defined by Jesus. We are defined in our relationship with Jesus. And we are defined by the fact that Jesus died on a cross and came back to life and was here on the road to Emmaus with his friends. Even at the lowest possible point, 
Jesus is walking with you, carrying you. Every single fibre of you is trying to plod along and Jesus is just there saying, let me take it. We've covered how we are Barabbas, how we are there. We deserve to be on that cross. We deserve to be paying for our own actions. God never makes us sin. God would never make us sin. But we cannot avoid it at times because it is human nature. But Jesus, every single step of the way, was perfect and died on that cross. Didn't sin, living that perfect life. So that three days before this passage happens, he could die the perfect death and then be here. Where does Jesus go in our lives when we hit rocky waters? On our Emmaus Road is never straight, never flat. It's never simple. Bumps appear, crossroads come and go. Life throws punches at you. Life comes in from places where you're least expecting it. You might be completely content with your life. You might be going through a really high time, blindsided. You might be getting ready to make a really big decision and you feel like that's what God wants you to do. And then life throws you a curveball. You might be ready to commit long term to a strategy for your life, to a plan, to a tactic, to a life choice. And then a spanner goes in the works. That might be a really long mountain that you have to climb. That might be a valley that drops so deep that you don't even see where it goes. What's our Emmaus Road at the moment? not even collectively, personally, have a think about it. What is your Emmaus road? What is the road, the journey of your life at the moment that you are just plodding through? Day after day, just continuing going. The easy answer at the moment is COVID because we all know how much that has stalled our lives. You might have had a great plan for your life, knowing what you want to do. COVID has been like, no, you're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. How often are we told that, no, you can't do this because dot, dot, dot. How often are you told that you are defined by the choices you make? How often are you told that the person that you hide from other people is the person that you are? That's that's soul destroying almost. When you look at someone that you so dearly trusted to give this information to them, just for them to dismiss it, that is one of the lowest points you could ever reach. Your Maus Road, where you're walking with Jesus, not recognizing him, but just continuing to go out of utter sadness, the pain that is beaten into you by the world how often do we have jesus alongside us yeah our eyes drop to the floor rather than taking comfort in the savior the redeemer the friend the father the perfecter of our faith that's right there next to us how often do our eyes see the floor instead of love incarnate life's a marathon not a sprint life is going to be one of the longest journeys you'll ever take life is a journey life is point a 
at birth to point B, the day that you get to meet Jesus in person. Everybody with their own special route. You will climb different mountains to other people. You will go through different valleys to other people. Yeah, you might interact with a few people along the way where you're both going through the same thing at the same time. But I guarantee that at certain points you're going to go through different things. But there's a promise that through it all, God has a plan. God is at the center of it all. God is there on your Emmaus road with you. There's a promise that this ends in eternal life, in eternal glory with him up in heaven. And that however far you have to go down your road, one day all suffering will cease, all pain will end. No more valleys will come your way. Just an eternal relationship with the risen Christ. He's declared that the last few weeks to us, I believe. That there's a plan. That even when he was getting nailed on a cross, there was a plan. That even when the stone was rolled away, there was a plan. That even after the first day of him being dead, there was a plan. Even after the second day of being dead, there was a plan. Stones rolled away, there's a plan. There's a plan where Jesus wins. We win with him. We win big time in, in getting eternal life. We win so much, but we have to plod through life first. And God goes alongside us. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Psalm 139, 13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God knows us and our lives better than anybody else on this earth. He knows every single second that we breathe, every single thought we've had. That relationship is so insanely personal that we can have. But how often do we lose sight of this? The person who equips us with all we need, how often do we lose sight of him and his plan? How often do we see a road where there is a, there's a massive T-junction? One road looks really easy and really simple. The other looks rocky. The other's a really narrow gate. God calls us to the narrow gate sometimes. God calls us to take the hard way. God calls us to go through an intensely difficult time, pulling us out of the other side with so much valuable life experience, but also with the amazing gifts that he has given to us for our specific calling. With God, we have everything we need. With him, we lack nothing. With him, he equips us for everything he could possibly call us for. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. God doesn't just call us because we're there. God equips you specific for your calling. God will give Jonathan different gifts to Elisha. He'll give Elisha different gifts to Elliot. He'll give Elliot different gifts to Jonathan. He'll give me different gifts to Ben. He'll give Ben different gifts to Alex. We all have different gifts that is so uniquely combined that it fits to who we are, that it finds us, that it reaches us, that it gives us everything we need to be able to continue out his plan that he has for us. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. King David, all the way back in the Old Testament, definitely not perfect by any stretch. 
you could just ask Uriah that. Uriah being the man who David slept with his wife and then Uriah's wife got pregnant and then David tried to kill Uriah, basically. And he succeeded in that. His heart was for God. God equipped him for everything he needed to do. God equipped him with the musical understanding to be able to write all of those psalms. Gave him a heart that was for God. David was in the genealogy of Jesus. Wasn't perfect by any stretch. But he had the gifts for what God called him to. Moses, he had a speech impediment. He had a really big stutter. He hated talking in front of people. He was afraid of public speaking. I've just said the same thing twice in a row. But he took the Israelites out of Egypt. He, he did what God had planned for people. He doesn't choose perfect people. He doesn't call the equipped, but he then equips the called. He equips us according to his plan, giving us the gifts that will best apply to each section of your calling. Different calling to the person next to you. No one has a better calling than another person. No one gift is better than the next because it all comes from God. It all is at the centre. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pain, our mourning, do we lose sight of who Jesus was? Do we lose sight of his plan? Do we lose sight of the gifts he's given us for this time? Do we lose sight of that perfect plan, that road that Jesus has set for us? That road that's never straight, that's never flat, that never comes with a nice tailwind? Or do we always look for that road rather than looking for where Jesus wants us? We look for the life that has the least difficulty. Do we demonstrate if faith, the if faith saying that if everything's good, if I don't go to prison, if I have an amazing life, then I'll believe in Christ. Whereas a though faith says, even though times are hard, even though I might go to prison, even though my life might be awful at times, I'm still going to believe in the risen Christ. Do we dem demonstrate an if faith by going for the road that's simple for us? Or do we demonstrate a though faith, a though faith that calls us to God's plan every single step of the way? Verses 19 to uh, 23. People had lost their faith in Jesus. People had lost a view that he was the Messiah. They were just starting to call him a prophet. Somebody that was powerful in the name of God. They weren't calling him the Messiah anymore. They weren't calling him the Son of God. In the three days since his crucifixion, had stopped believing he was who he said he was. They were living by sight rather than living by faith. They couldn't see Jesus alongside them, even though he was. They were believing that he was dead and he wasn't going to redeem them. He wasn't going to be the one to redeem Israel. And then they, would, they just thought he was a prophet, living by knowledge. Like when we talk about the 300% idea. 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. Maths doesn't add up which way, whichever way you look at it. 
Because how many times do you look at something 300? If you have 300% of a glass of water, you've spilt a lot of water somewhere. That's all I'm saying. God always is working beyond our understanding, always working in a place that defines faith rather than defining knowledge. In our small groups, we looked at, can we be a logical thinking Christian? And yeah, we can, because there's so much proof that looks towards Jesus did die on the cross and rise again. That's what defines faith. A leap of faith is taking that step into the unknown, saying, I don't know what's out there, God, but I trust in you. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not what is comfortable for us. As humans, we like to dwell in what we know. If you go out to a restaurant and you see something that you've never eaten on the menu, how much do you choose that over, over your comfort food? Over a, a food that you maybe order nine times out of ten. We go to what we know rather than what we haven't been able to 100, 100% understand. The only way we know that Christ has risen from the grave is in here, is in us, it is in our understanding. Like if we talk about our experiences with Christ, if we talk about our understanding of experiences where we have had an amazing interaction with Jesus, how often do people look at you and say, how can you prove that? You can't, you can't for them, but you know inside you Jesus Christ has just met with you in the most amazing way. It's like one of the last nights of Soul Survivor 2019 like they were praying for people and then I just felt that there was a massive flow out of me and then there was a scream and I was like who screamed and then somebody just whispered in my ear are you okay I was the person screaming and I was like oh damn that was me meeting with Jesus some other people would say he is going crazy he's just screaming I can't prove to them that was Jesus but I know it was because I'm not just the type of person that would just stand up and start screaming because I would feel very awkward it's, that was a moment between me and the risen Christ. And nobody would be able to take that away from me because I know it in here. It's that faith in the God who defines me and the God who has a plan and the God who died three days later, the tomb was empty. And then we look at so many times in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3.11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Galatians 3.12, the next very next verse, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Stepping into the unknown is difficult. Jesus doesn't promise simplicity. He doesn't promise security. He doesn't promise that everything's going to go your way. Each day is hard with its own lumps and bumps. But James 1 verse 12 puts it perfect. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life in the Lord has promised to those who love him. When you can't describe it better yourself, you've just got to go to the Bible persevering under trial the trials that we face in the world shows us that we continuing to plod through our trials gives us valuable skills evangelizes to those around us in the most amazing way showing that even though 
everything bad's happening, we still choose to believe in the risen Christ. It shows how powerful the love of God is. They won't let us fall. Verse 25 now, Jesus has fulfilled the prophecy. The surprise is still very real. It's not every day that you see somebody die, then rise again. Resurrection isn't an everyday event. We don't look at people and think, I don't want to be insensitive here, but I really highly doubt that tomorrow the Queen's going to release a statement saying that Philip is alive. Like, it's not, it's not even every year that there's one person who comes back from the grave. It's one in 2021 at this point, and very much more, because I don't know how many years BC there is. Jesus died three days later, rose again. Three days was the period that Jews believed that that was when the soul left the body. That was when the body was actually fully, fully dead at this point. And Jesus proved one last time that he was fulfilling every single prophecy. Everybody probably was doubting at this point that he was who he said he was, because resurrection wasn't something that you expect. Even when it happened, there was still so much, there was so much questions around it. That's why so many people are like, I'm not going to believe in Christianity. Even though we are one of the biggest religions in the world, if not the biggest, we are still a minority in the world. We, are, we aren't a majority compared to everybody else. But Jesus rising from the grave is something we believe in. They don't. There's doubt. There is questions. There's everything that goes around it. Now we're on to verse 28, which is where I have a very lovely sermon illustration for you. Look at this. What is that I see on Ben's screen? Oh, wow. It's a door. It's a lovely door. Ben, would you like to model what happens when you open a door? He has opened the door. There's now a way for someone to come in through the door. Our relationship with God is a one-way door. Look at that. Ben has invited Naomi in. He has invited her in through the handle that is on his side. Thank you for that, guys. That That was brilliant. That couldn't have gone better. But the only difference in our relationship with God is that God is not going to open the door from the other side. He's not going to open it and walk in and force himself on us. But when we open the door from our side, we invite him into our lives, opening ourselves into the relationship with God. To open that, we make that decision, that choice, that seeing what his love has done for us, choosing to worship him. That's what repentance is. Turning back to God and recognising that we suck. Like, as people, we make really bad decisions sometimes. Even good people are great at making bad decisions. That is from NF, what absolute legend he is. To put it simply, that's what it is, we suck. That's just how it is. Like, you're all amazing people, but you all suck. Despite this, that door is never going to grow further away from us. That door is never going to grow in, in space away from us. It's always going to be at arm's reach. We're always going to be able to make that choice. Even if we've spent 95 plus years of being an absolute mean person, picking on people, maybe even a murderer, dealing drugs, doing all of the really bad things that get you put in prison for a really long time and breaking loads of laws and being, being a bit of a bad person. That door is still as close as some as a as a baby child who wants to a little child who wants to make the choice to live for Jesus. 
that choice is always the same choice. God's always there. Look at the prodigal son. He went out, spent all of his inheritance, and yet his dad welcomed him in with open arms all the same as he would have if he hadn't spent all of his inheritance. God is always there. Would anybody like £10? Going once, going twice. Nina, sold. Right. I've just scrunched it up, yeah? It's a plastic £10 note, so it's not torn, I hope, because that is actually £10 that I got for my birthday. Would you still like the £10 note? Yes. I won't put it in my mouth like I did when I was demonstrating this to Ben, but imagine I had. Would you still like it? Yeah. Okay. Well, if it if it's disinfected, I would take it. Still use it as a £10 note, is what I'm saying. It's still a £10 note. It is, you could give it to a shop clerk and they would take it. Why would you still take it? Because it's £10 and I can buy things for that. It still holds the same worth as if it hadn't have had any of that. If it was a complete flat, completely crisp, completely a £10 note that has just come straight out of the bank. God's always there. God's always reminding us that no matter how battered we are, no matter how crumpled, no matter how scrunched, no matter how worse for wear that we look, you never, never lose your worth. No matter how many times life throws you down, God is always there reminding you that you were worth him sending his son to die on the cross for just you, solely you. On your own, he would have died for you. If there was only you left in the universe, he would have still sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. No matter how many times you were told that you have lost your worth, you were like this 10 pound note. You are plastic, no. You are still worth everything that Jesus gave for you. You are still worth Jesus's blood on the cross, but we still have to invite him in. We still have to make that choice. Here, Jesus would have carried on walking. He didn't have to stay with him. He didn't force himself and say, can I stay with you guys? But they invited him in. They made that choice to to have that relationship, invited them into his house. Just like Ben invited Naomi to walk through his door. He was still there, even at the most difficult time for all of human nature. He was still there, reminding us that we are worth it all. Jonathan, Elliot, Emma, Nina, Elijah, Naomi, Alex, Arthur, Kirsty, Benjamin, Naomi, there's two of you, Luke, Lottie, Rosie, Soph, Ida, Paul, Hannah, every single one of you, still worth it all. So now, smooth segue on to verses 30 to 32. The spirit burning within him that they see. Why are not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? God's presence, his spirit, sets a fire in our lives, a light that will refuse to be quenched. Like a town on a hill, you're still going to see it. Like a candle in the dark. Has anybody ever asked you, if you take a dark room and put a candle in it, it lights up the entire room. But if you take a light room and put a dark in it, Dark gets lightened up. You can't really put a dark in somewhere, thinking about it. But it sets a fire in our lives, and that becomes a wildfire. It spreads throughout everything. We see that when we set our lives on fire for Jesus, it finds its way to 
find its way it finds its way to find its way into every single aspect of our lives that we can possibly have the word of jesus does this the word of the lord does this it's why the bible isn't just a book it's why these words that i read on this piece of paper speak into my heart rather than just speak into the world if i were to go and get ben stokes's autobiography about uh, the 2019 summer i'd read that it might have an effect for any cricket fans out there but it wouldn't have the same effect for as reading the bible to you guys would how would you guys feel if just one week i said instead of looking at luke this week we're gonna look at sam warburton mr breadman himself how would you guys feel if just one week I decided we're going to talk about this, these, just these words that are on paper that doesn't really have much effect to your lives. Whereas the word of God does sword, shield, comfort, guys, teacher. It provides words of amazement. It changes lives. That's why it does. It takes lives from where they are broken and makes them whole. It fills gaps. It throws itself in there and reminds you that you're worth it, that you were worth it every single second he spent hanging on that tree psalm 19 7 to 9 the lord of the lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statues of the lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right giving joy to the heart the commands of the lord are radiant that kind of sticks out uh, giving light to the eyes the fear of the lord is pure enduring forever the decrees of the lord are firm all of them are righteous. God's word is perfect. Trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, firm, righteous. And those are the descriptive words that he uses here. It makes wise. It refreshes. It gives joy. gives light. It endures. His love endures forever. Now I've got a song stuck in my head. But Every single word that we see on this paper will speak differently to it does to someone else. I guarantee you that if every single one of us went and read Psalm 19 tomorrow, each of us would bring out at least one different note to everybody else. It would all speak differently to us than it does to somebody else. Of course, there might be bits where it interlaps, it crosses over, it blends in, it works together, it sits on top of each other. But... We're never going to completely read it the same as everybody else. That's the, that's the power of the word of God. The fact that it will mean something different to one person than the next. Breaking the bread was the signal in verse 35. It would be something that is significant in their mind, signified by his body being broken on the cross. A moment that brought clarity, seeing that Jesus was there, was there and with them all along. What's that moment for you? What's the, what's the moment where... Jesus reminded you that he was with you all along. For me, it was after going through an absolutely atrocious time at my secondary school. I mean, I hated it. I hated secondary school. I woke up every day, didn't really want to go. Then I got to college and God gave me so many great friendships. And he reminded me that he was with me all along through giving me people around me who, when I opened up to them, accepted me for who I was. I accepted the fact that I'm broken. Other people are broken. We're all broken. We all have places where we fall down. That was the moment of clarity for me, seeing that Jesus used that time to teach me some very valuable lessons. Because if he had not done that and taught me those lessons now, the person that I am now, I wouldn't have handled with it as well. Because I have a lot more confidence in who I am now. I would have stepped up a lot earlier. I would have spoken about it. I would have said, this is lies. 
this isn't true. I just sat back. I was scared. I was a 13-year-old, not entirely the youngest, but going through something that I, I hope nobody else ever goes through. I'm not going to get into it. If you want to ask me, you can ask me. I'll talk about it. But Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Even in the midst of everything, Jesus was continuing to show them. He continued to show me. He would have continued to show all of you who he was. Go all the way back to the start. What's special about the two appearances that Luke chose? What's special about Emmaus Road? Ask yourself that question, maybe. Anything Jesus did was special. 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. Always guiding. Even in just a walk to a village along the road, he was showing us his love every single step of the way. That will be my TED Talk for tonight. <laughs>